Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you all for coming along this afternoon to, I think, uh, an extremely special event. Uh, this is the first time these poets and these musicians have been together uh, in about 40 years. <laughs> My name is Adam Crossan, and I'm the poetry editor for Polygon. When I, when I first joined the company um, as an intern, my desk sat in front of the polygon shelves, and on the spines I picked out the names of some of my favourite Scottish authors, Kai Brown, McCabe, Gary Ockham-Clayne, but also among those spines were some other favourites, Butlin, Gray, Lockhead, and Cade. And that was 2010, and I knew that that was the company I wanted to be a part of, not to mention our creative director at the time, James Hutchinson. Around this time, a young man looking for interesting spoke of work nights before my evenings, I first came across Nori Reedy with Kevin Williamson and Michael Peterson at the helm, um, continuing the great tradition of spoken word nights that have become so ubiquitous these days. And it's in thanks to part of the group that we are here celebrating today, the lost poets, Ron Butland, Andrew Gregg, Liz Lockhead, Brian Cave, and James Hutchinson, that there is such a vibrant spoken word scene and that poetry is enjoying uh, a bit of a boom over the past decade. The genesis, or rather mythology, of the Lost Poets is somewhat unclear, but I know that these five came together in the early 70s at a time when poets such as McCain, Gary Ockham, Clay, and Morgan did as little as one or two readings a year. This is also a time that poets could make a living from writing, but this group were introduced in 95. They set about starting regular spoken word cabarets, <coughs> poetry, and song on the same stage, with original music from Jane Hutchinson and Stan the Great Deep. The Lost Poets hosted these evenings and allowed seven minute slots for new poets. These shows took place during the Edinburgh Fringe at the Netherbow, Adam House Theatre, and Theatre Workshop in Stockbridge. That was the 70s and 80s. And in the years on, these poets never did get day jobs. Instead, they forged careers, successfully going on to publish over 60 books between them. I've been fortunate enough to work with all but one of these poets. Brian McCain's uh, numer numerically brilliant zero was published just before my time in Polygon. Uh, but one of the first books I worked on was The Magician of Scotland by Ron Butland, and I worked again on his edition of The Sound of My Voice. In 2016, Liz Lockhead's Mapping Collection, Fusion of Colours, was a joy to work on, and next month, you get to read Andy Gregg's new collection later that day. Many decades on from those early days, when the last poets supported the greats, including Morgan, Gray, Leonard, today are still writing these creating stages of spoken word events, such as Noe Reedy, who themselves are celebrating 10 years this year. And important new poets like Michael Peterson are humbled by these poets appearing on their stage. And so the cyclical nature of the lost poets, captured, nurtured, and grew, continues, as does their own writing and publishing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a celebration of the past, but a continuation of careers that have endured, distinguished by many books, awards, and ideas. And to celebrate this momentous achievement and the coming back together of the lost poets, we've put together this gem of a book, a cornucopia of poems. Forms and wings and stabilized things, and in it you will find poems old and new by each of these poets, uh, not to mention the forward by Michael Peterson. Uh, a sort of nod to the, that cyclical nature. And so before I sign off and hand over to the lost poets, I should say that there will be an opportunity to buy copies of this book and a very rare opportunity to get it signed by all of the lost poets. Uh, so without could you please put your hands together and welcome Ron Butland, Andrew Gregg, Liz Lockhead, Brian Cave, James Hutchinson, and Ron Spokes. I am going to start with um, something from the 70s. 
this is a piece we did as a, <coughs> we did all together as a kind of ensemble piece. Um, we're going to try and do one of those uh, later, uh, although we've forgotten most of the words of it. <laughs> um, this one is, I'm just going to do it on my own uh, today, it's called Here's Why. And it's a collage of things taken from um, advertisements in, in the Sunday Times Colour Supplement, uh, circa 1975. Come live with us and be our love. Here's why. You're stretched out on a soft, sandy beach, and your only commitment is now a wonderful opportunity to find out what you are really like and hike to your personality, plus pure wholesome goodness in solid gold hand-told easy white wet look skimmer text. That total look. Is it a laugh or is it a wrinkle? Where does it come from? How does it work? Simple. It's an all-in-one. No gimmicks or gadgets and no more mess. I expect you're wondering what it's called. Style. <laughs> it's like a window. So delicate and transparent, it seems to glow from within. No zips, no bulges, nobody need know. <laughs> and remember, no obligation. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so behold this unrepeatable new offer. It's unique, suitable for every occasion, and specially for you. And these are just some of our range. Also, now it comes with matching double offer for your friends this Christmas. Pick any four. Whether you are crisp and cool or long and cool, drop in to see us. Give us a ring. Start today. It doesn't matter how old you are. With our new easy-to-follow instructions, you leave all the worries to us. <laughs> also, plus, and, together with, super new value. What does it do? Puts more than a gleam in your eye? Get it. How much does it cost? It's free. How much it costs is up to you. Of course, you can't expect it to be cheap. Just whip out a pen and fill this in quick. It won't take you a moment on our comprehensive fail-safe installment plan. Dissolves pain and it makes your fitting shine. So you want to know more? Then live with us and be our love. <laughs> life, they say, I hanged myself for shame after winning a spinning contest with Athene. Lies. In my mythology, there are no goddesses, just me and my nymph and my prey. He'll do that dance again with his eightsome reeling legs and secrete a sticky compliment on the dark design of my web. It's just an air strainer, I'll say. He'll look into my rope two rows of eyes, finger my silk with his pedipalps, and call me his Athene. I'll clear my throat. Arachne, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> to 
save time, I'll turn round and advertise my abdomen. He'll realize why he was born, then I'll eat him. <laughs> in my juice, he'll make a nutritious soup. I may not be a goddess, but I've still got my legs. <laughs> um, this is one of the very few confessional poems I've ever written. It's called Stone. Of all the stones I threw as a boy, I remember only one. <laughs> Unlike stones I flicked and skipped to interrupt flat water. Bullet stones to detonate bottles, ding tin cans from high fences. Unlike stones thrown at headstones to exercise the dead. Unlike stones thrown out of boredom at dogs, cats, fish, birds, rats, just to keep them on their toes. This particular stone was thrown so all my sins confess themselves at last at a girl. And when I watched it swoop from the air, I shut my eyes tight, aware that I'd get what I deserved and more. I was guilty, yet in that moment I learned to care for another, for her suffering. So love's aim was as true as mine, and all its longing came down on me, came down on me and cut me through. Um, I'll finish with a poem uh, called Previous Tenant. And uh, <coughs> it's about that feeling you get when you move in somewhere new and the person before, who lived there before, may have cleaned up really well and everything, but you can still sense their presence. And um, I had a residency in Perth called the Lone and Suter Fellowship, which is the only residency I've had that actually came with a residence. <laughs> <laughs> and when I moved in, the previous writer, had, he, he's done a great job of cleaning up, which I was very grateful for, but he, he left a whole room full of boxes of his clothes. And they were all labeled like jackets, trousers, shirts, and so on. And I remember a workman coming in once to um, fix up some plumbing and that. Uh, he looked at these boxes and said, what's all this? And I said, that's the previous tenant's clothes. And he said, my god, he's got a whole box of ties. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave you to guess who, um, which Scottish writer <coughs> might have a whole box of ties. Previous tenant from Carl McDougall. <laughs> <laughs> my radio clears its throat in the scoured silence of his kitchen. The empty skull of his fridge grins at me under the light. On a notice board naked of notices, his solar system of thumbtacks. His hooks bereft of pictures beckon to me from their ghosts. The set fire sulks in the grate, an orphan hoping to be chosen. He is the skeletoning coat hanger in the yawning wardrobe. He whose damp sock lurks in the drum he whose billhook I weigh in my hand. His stripped mattress awaits me, a premonition uncovered. The answer phone is flashing, a message for him, or for me. It's me, she says. If you're there, can you pick up the fucking phone? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I dug up a couple of old songs. I don't know what was the 
Um, that was Jim Hutchison and the Great Deep. Just Great Deep, isn't it? Sandra Bridges, Bridges. Always changed the name, even back then when we used to do it every day. It was a different group. My name's Ron Belton. I'm very, very pleased to be here and to share the stage with, uh, with friends. It's such a long time ago when we started, and to see so many of you here today. So, that's where we started the book, uh, Horns and Wings and Stabilizer Things, contains one poem at least from that period from each of us, as well as an unpublished poem and other ones that we've done since. And this poem I selected was uh, probably the only um, homage to Jimi Hendrix. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it came because uh, I really loved Hendrix. And after he, he, a few years after he died, I saw a TV program where he was getting interviewed by an American, um, very uptight guy with a kind of clipboard and a clip tie and a very clip man. <laughs> and he was getting more and more worried because Hendrix was sitting there with his um, you know, purple hair and, and boots with curls at the end and all the rest of it, and was very, very obviously very, very stoic. <laughs> and he didn't know where, the, where it was going, this interview, and so he eventually asked me, he said, um, does uh, everybody look like you where you come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, where are you from? Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Into the interview, but he gave me an idea for this poem. In memoriam, Jimi Hendrix. On the breadth and heft and sorry, I'll start again. On the breadth and heft of the universe, the deal that is right on God that is left. His fingers were groping among stars for the sickless quasars that boomed inside his head. Yet he ran a lifespan and back as his horns thrummled for the years. Yet weirdless keep and the world hurt. And we're left whispering to ourselves who yet the planet circled us. Thank you. Um, most all of us have gone on writing and living and living and writing. Uh, and I was very lucky for six years to be Edinburgh Poet Laureate, MACRA. And uh, I, first of all, when I was asked if I would take the post, gosh, my, yes, and I got an honour. Of course, I said yes immediately. Um, my first thought was, oh my God, I'm going to have to write things. <laughs> to celebrate things. And, and I was really worried. I thought, my creativity can get turned on and off like that. <laughs> 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 I was writing about all these things I never thought about. And uh, but things I got off to a very good start. The Scottish Malt Whiskey Society <laughs> commissioned a poem from me uh, in praise of whiskey. So how hard was that? Um, I had to do lots of research. <laughs> and I came up with this eventually. A recipe for whiskey. 
Wring the Scottish rain clouds dry. Take sleep. The driving snow, the hail, winter twilight, the summer sun slowed down to pearl sheen dusk on hillsides, city roofs, on lochs at midnight. And most of all, take the years that have already run to dust, the dust we've spilled behind us. All this is still and cask and wait. All human things resolve to who we are, our present fate. So let's taste, let's savour and enjoy, let's share once more. Another glass for absent friends, pour until the bottle's done. Here's life, here's courage to go on. <laughs> it's, it's a poem that has become eerily <coughs> prophetic after Brexit. <laughs> 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 yes. I it was one of the commissions that I got. I'd asked to, you know, just to say what what it means, you know, to be Scottish. This was all the time of the gathering, and then, late, you know, when we had the clans coming together and all the rest, and what it really meant. And it suddenly made me think, you know, what, what does it mean? And then we came to the referendum, you know, and I thought it was actually really good, even just to make us think who we are and where we belong. The only thing is that once we've really thought about it, neither us or the country will be the same afterwards. And then what's going to happen now? Well, my God, who knows? It's called Kickstarting History. Several centuries ago, Scotland found itself drawn into another country's slipstream. Our history shut down. We breathed dead air. Old villages collapsed into rubble, fields wasted to empty moorland, mountains retreated to wrap themselves in cloud and loss, swallowed down curses and their waters turned black. Families were split, clans broken up, and the human wreckage was scattered to the winds. What was left was still a country, but only just. And in the last year of the last millennium, we summoned up our strength. We sidestepped the slipstream, kick-started our history. And like it or not, we're on the move again, all of us. The fans, the clans, the country, no one can see into the future. No one can go ahead and check things out on our behalf. And as for all we've been through, the cost paid by generation after generation of people just like us, well, if we're lucky, the past will bear us company. Uh, 
is when I was a teenager, you know, the world's so big, I'm so small. Why wouldn't you go out with me? <laughs> so really big questions like that. And one of the things that emerged, particularly being a teenager, was that um, the whole world was out of step apart from me. And I would celebrate my difference, my uniqueness, my alienation. Yeah. And now that uh, I'm a bit older, yeah. I um, find myself wanting to celebrate what we have in common. Because I think the strength that we have as a community, as a country, as a family, as whatever it is, whatever the community is, if we can help each other, we can release an energy that is so much more powerful than corporates, so much more powerful than politicians. And my God, do we need it now. <laughs> so this is a very short poem that I'll finish with. Um, that celebrates that sense of <coughs> togetherness. And afterwards, we'll have Brian will come up for a moment because we will then be doing our first group ensemble. <laughs> and Brian will talk you through it. <laughs> Here's the point prayer. When I reach the center of the earth, let there be someone with me. Each one of us must bear the world's weight, but not alone. And so when I return at last to this same hour and this same place, let there be someone raising even the emptiness in their hands towards me. Thank you. This ensemble piece we used to do, uh, as I say, we didn't um, get a lot of awards, but we just made up new ones. Uh, it's called Horns and Wings and Stabilizer Things, which is what we the, the, the book takes its title from, uh, and uh, it goes.
It's Sunday in Anstruther, a gorgeous Stanshaw Street in a blue home-lit pullover, his eyes full of years, his body not obstructing the light. And though his mind's on other things, like a quite new collar or if the grass weren't green, he drops into the kirk and sits as sunlight on the rear pew. He joins the congregation in song, absolutely blessing everyone there and as an afterthought, the world, because it's Sunday and everyone's singing, and in the street you smile for him. Yes, God is close as you to me and never slips between. He moves off across the water, thinking about his favourite colours, blue and green, and his alias, Shepherd of Ships, while we walk here in the sunlit service of the world's church. Yon was music making Scottish style, a serious business and damned hard work. The accordion balls like a chest expander across the hidden muscle of his heart. His polkas were gales trapped in a box. Kilted to the gills, horns fetched black as coals from the mines he went down at fourteen. Shan gave it loudly, staring straight ahead, unsmiling, fingers blurred, only movement his left heel kicking out the beats. There's nothing free about expression. He learned that well from earliest days. Whatever joy there was in it for him, laboured as his father had, deep down. <laughs> and, uh, I think at this point in life, spending time, it's a most powerful asset, with friends and family seems increasingly satisfying and nourishing, and the bus pass really helps. This <laughs> 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 is a fifth house of recent, my most recent poem in this book, uh, The Old Codgers, if experience counts for anything, don't come to Glasgow without a coat. <laughs> Soaked, I ran the corner of Fires Road, but under the awning in autumn rain, outside the ubiquitous chip, the old codgers sit reed in mufflers and rollocks. Handshakes all round, instructions and reminders, we are the ones who got off with it. And now sit wrapped against the law, as young people pass in shirt sleeves, struggling again. Our hair is silver, gone, or grey, and it is clear by a jacket, not decent. Button shirts, sweaters, laced shoes, or battered cowboy boots, not trainers. We are onlookers, not players. Lightness and laughter amidst the gravity of our situation. Children grown, 
mortgage cleared, ambition a lurid umbrella bumping through the cloud, more burden than it's worth, slightly absurd, finally abandoned, who knows when. How very little matters now, but sitting in shelter with each other. I raise my glass of some new lager I don't like, but I felt too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> to toast these weightless afternoons together. We have become what we least expected. A bunch of old codgers getting quietly pissed at pavement tables off Byers Road with nowhere else they want to be. As late afternoon wears into evening, and Glasgow rain cools on the awning above, runs down past our hats and shoulders, like death, still just missing us. <laughs> <laughs>
Robinson. I'm not sure if I've ever read it at a Lowest Poets reading, but it's about a Lowest Poets reading. Uh, very briefly, one winter, we tried to be organisers and go on a few uh, uh, readings, you know, with other people, with, with great people. And Edwin Morgan came along once, and uh, I had never attended youth organising it. I was homeless at that kind of thing, always. And I was a real teacher, and I came from Glasgow, so we had to do it all year. But there was a real football match on that night, and Halle Effie turned up. A great big something or other. Anyway, the wonderful Edwin Morgan, who will be 100 years old this year, this is centenary, um, he was there, and he must have been about 58 or something at the time, because I think this was 1978. But this poem's for Edwin Morgan, in memory of him, and uh, it's long before he became the marker or anything like that, but the poem is about a lost poet's reading and it's called The People's Poet. <coughs> Under the blue moon of this whole silly business really working for once, the people's poet is reading to us from his most recent work. Natty in Tattersall, boyish and 50-something on the bare stage under the blue light. If the side spots have those rose-colored filters, well, that won't wash with him. Listen, his quick, light voice, not tripping ever over his own peppery rhythms, the sibilance and little silver sparks of spittle. At first, it was him, him blinking into the black at the audience, and us wondering, had we let him too harshly, bungled it again? Imagine us encouraging him to leave his antarctics and his loose leaf in the anteroom, and then him having to tiptoe through all those ladies doing yoga in Halanka, stretching breaths, just to rescue his poems. He was nice about it. Nice about the coffee we were sorry not to be able to offer in the interval for those ticket sales. Into his second poem, he seems in his element. On the orange bucket chair behind him, his pile of hardbacks and pamphlets, that's all. The wall's aerosol labyrinth is ours, the empty bottle, painted guitar, and at his feet, somebody's rainbow scarf, a serpent straight off a snake's and ladder's board. And maybe it is a game for him. Certainly there is fun in it. Didn't the six particle poems tickle us pink? Then there was a witch, a cat, a broomstick, a sort of story for Halloween, which it isn't, though it was while he read it. There was a mummy in need of urgent repair. Those transcripts of tapes from outer, outer space. Yes, the woman pissing in Central Station, he wouldn't let us look away from for one minute. Our confusion, the celebration, the celebration, Callis, Nabokov, Boland, Presley, Lowell, of his loved lately dead. The dance that danced them off is not what he ever praises, though who can ignore it? Outside, the buses throb, and top deck passengers slide past at eye level, almost touchable. Children shout clear into the cold. The light from the public lavatory catches the hurrying moon face of one girl, and she's gone. Taxis take on at possibly terrible cost, but the winter city won't stay locked shut, and that's what he sings out about. It's chock-a-block with life, and lives we can make for, 
as next door, everybody doing yoga breathes towards the new me. <laughs> Listen, a second life, instructions to an actor. It's mostly resurrection he calls up in us. There's no comfort in it, except the odd moment, the ridiculous and the marvelous, speaking in tongues to the hard of hearing, just for the hell of it, this poet is playing with pure sound. There is no meaning in any ordinary sense. Listen, the mad particles dance, stanza by stanza. The poem is becoming more miraculous, more clear. And it says here, circa But this one is an absolutely personal poem. I wrote a lot, I've written a lot of love poems in my life, but um, this was a hate poem. Um, and here we go. Um, it's just, it's a poem I didn't so much write as write down when it started to come through. It was the weirdest experience I've ever had. I remember keeping having to go and lock myself away and get more lines of it down. And over the next couple of months, I only changed a few lines, so that never happens. Anyway, here's first of the next few. Just Run them in. My rival's house. <laughs> My rival's house is peopled with many surfaces. Ormolu and gilt, slipper satin, lush velvet couches, cushions so stiff you can't sink in, tables polished clear enough to see distortions in. We take our shoes off at our door, shuffle stocking sole, tiptoe. The parquet floor is beautiful and its surface must be protected. Dust cover, drawn shade, won't let the surface color fade. Silver sugar tongs and silver salt. My rival serves us tea. She glosses over him and me. I am all edges, a surface, a shell, and yet my rival thinks she means me well, but what squares beneath her surface, I can tell. Soon my rival, capped tooth, polished nail, will fight, fight foul for her survival. Deferential, daughterly, I sip and thank her nicely for each bitter cup. And I have much to thank her for. This son she bore, First blood to her. Never, never can escape Scott free the sour pot luck of family. And oh, how close this family that furnishes my rival's place. The lady of the house, Queen Mary, she is far more unconscious, far more dangerous than me. Listen, I was always my own worst enemy. She has taken even this. <laughs> she dishes up her dreams for breakfast. Dinner and her salt tears pepper her soup. She won't give up. Circa 1975. That's it. <laughs> um, this one is the opposite of a personal poem. This is one of those ones Ron was talking about when you get a phone call. Um, can you write about this? This was for the children's panel. So it's a monologue, it's not my voice. 
I think it's a boy speaking. It could be a, a teenage girl of about 15 or 16, but I think he's male. And it's just a wee poem to encourage people to join the children's panel. And you know, the lay members, they need, they need them. It was a recruitment campaign. Poems called, listen, trouble is not my middle name. It is not what I am. I was not born for this. Trouble is not a place, though I am in it, deeper than the deepest wood, and I get out of it. Who wouldn't, if I could? Hope is what I do not have in hell, not without good help now. Could you listen, listen hard and well, to what I cannot say, except by what I do? And when you say, I do it for badness, this much is true. I do it for badness done to me before any badness that I do to you. Hard to unfankle this, but you can help me, maybe. Loosen all these knots and really listen. I cannot plainly tell you this, but if you care, then beyond all harm and hurt, Beyond all harm and heart, real hope is there. Um, I love songs, I love songs, and I love lyrics of songs. Um, one of my favourite lyricists in the world is Ira Gershwin, um, and uh, this wee poem is for Ira and George. Well, it's actually for Michael Mara, my dear, late, great friend. Um, uh, and I gave it to him, I think this was about 2004, where we were doing a wee show, we were touring about Scotland together. And um, I've been trying to write it for a while, and I've finally got it done. And I gave it to him, I said, here you go, Michael. He said that, well, I, used, I said to him, is it true that the first question they ask a, a, a songwriter is, which comes first, the words or the music? And the answer to that is, first the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Michael says, no, the first word, the first question they ask is, do you come from a musical family? <laughs> so I used to say to him, do you come from a musical family? I used to say, I. <laughs> anyway, this is Ira and George. And I'm two, two poems for songs um, in a row, but for Michael Mara. First the phone call, as the man said, and he sure said a mouthful to that which comes first, words or music question. Who knows, except for every good one, there are ten in the trash. Songs you slaved over that just won't sing. In which no lover ever will hear some wisecrack twist itself to tell his unique heartbreak. So sore, so personal, so well he just can't stop humming it. The simplest three-chord melody might have legs once it's got the lyric, not tunesmiths, ham and eggs. Each catchphrase, colloquialism, each cliché, each snatch of overhead on the subway or street can say so much, so much, when rhymed right, when phrased just so to fit its own tune that was born for it. A Manhattan night in 29 or 30. It's late. You're reading Herrick. Just back from a party, your brother calls out, hey, let's work. You watch him shuck his jacket, loose his black tie, and grab your book. 
Gather your rosebuds, he says, and slams it shut. He's right. Hard against the deadline, and at night, shoes off. Moon up, just daring you. Piano open, that's when you two can make it happen. The tune that smells like an onion, play it very slow. Then the one that sounds like the Staten Island Ferry till you hear the words. Brother, they're already there under the siren and the train and the cab horn blare of his jazz of endless possibilities that will only fit its own fine-tuned lyric that is born for it. And to finish up with a tiny wee lyric for my friends, uh, Gordon and Cammy McLean. My friend Gordon McLean's daughter's got a very unusual name, and he told me a nice wee story about it. And the, uh, the, it also refers to a very familiar bit of Simon and Garfunkel from the old days. Gordon and I both like this song, so. And the poem's called a Cambridgeshire. Because the sound of his daughter's name was as soft to him as the cloth it was in Scots they all worked for, Camry, Chambry, a cambric shirt was what that day he wore to her wedding. And it was the two of them alone knew the why of it. Because he'd tap her up forever in the love that light in his heart let her go to the good man any father would be glad to see his lassie married on to. This was a twin them bay, one small secret hanseling, a cambric shirt. The shirt he'd have given up his back for her would still without the asking. The coat so warm when the rivers freeze and the snowflakes storm to keep her from the howling winds. His plaidy to every angry ear, he'd shelter her, hap her, wheel clad in the cold blast, in the cold blast. His father love, the Camry sack, without only seam or needlework. Thank you very much. so much for coming along in so big numbers just to say that the book as Edward said thank you Edward for your very good introduction and thanks to Berlin Polygon normally $5.99 today it's only $4.99 <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the outside, uh, by top of there, and we'll have a table with everybody around it. As I say, thank you very much indeed for coming out. And please join me one more time.
Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you all for coming along this afternoon to, I think, uh, an extremely special event. Uh, this is the first time these poets and these musicians have been together uh, in about 40 years. <laughs> My name is Adam Crossan, and I'm the poetry editor for Polygon. When I, when I first joined the company um, as an intern, my desk sat in front of the Polygon shelves, and on the spines I picked out the names of some of my favorite Scottish authors, Kai Brown, Cage, Gary Austin Clayton, but also among those spines were some other favorites, Butlin, Greg, Lockhead, and Cage. And that was 2010, and I knew that that was something I wanted to be a part of, not to mention our great regret for climbing with James Hutchinson. Around this time, a young man looking for interesting spoken word nights to fill my evenings. I first came across Nori Reedy with Kevin Williamson and Michael Peterson at the helm, um, continuing the great tradition of spoken word nights that have become so ubiquitous these days. And it's in thanks to part of the group that we are here celebrating today, the Lost Poets, Ron Rutland, Andy Gregg, Liz Lockhead, Brian Cage, and James Hutchinson, that there is such a vibrant spoken word scene and that poetry is enjoying uh, a bit of a boom over the past decade. The genesis, or rather mythology, of the Lost Poets is somewhat unclear, but I know that these five came together in the early 70s at a time when poets such as Cage, Gary Austin Clay, and Morgan did as little as one or two readings a year. This is also a time that poets could make a living from writing, but this group were not introduced in 95. They set about starting regular spoken word cabaret <coughs> poetry and song on the same stage, with original music from James Hutchinson and his band The Great Deep. The Lost Poets hosted these evenings and allowed seven minute slots for the new poets. These shows took place during the Edinburgh Fringe at the Netherbow Adam House Theatre and Theatre Workshop in South Wales. That was the 70s and 80s. And in years <coughs> on, these poets never did get, get day jobs. Instead, they forged careers, successfully going on to publish over 60 books between them. I've been fortunate enough to work with all but one of these poets, Simon Cage, uh, numerically brilliant hero, published just before my time in Polygon. Uh, but one of the first books I worked on was The Magician of Scotland by Ron Butland, and where I worked began on his vision of the sound of my voice. In 2016, Liz Lockhead's mapping collection, Trees of Colours, was a joy to work on. And next month, you get to read Andy Gregg's new collection later that day. Many decades on from those early days when the lost poets supported the greats, including Morgan, Gray, Lennon, today are still writing these gracing stages of spoken word events such as Nori Reedy, who themselves are celebrating 10 years this year. And important new poets like Michael Peterson are humbled by these poets appearing on their stage. And so the cyclical nature of the lost poets, captured, nurtured, and grew, continues, as does their own writing and publishing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a celebration of the past, but a continuation of careers that have endured, distinguished by many books, awards, and accolades. And to celebrate this momentous achievement and the coming back together of the lost poets, we have put together this gem of a book, a cornucopia of poems all using wings and stabilizing things, and in it you will find poems old and new by each of these poets, uh, not to mention forward by Michael Peterson. Uh, a sort of nod to the, that cyclical nature. And so before I sign off and hand over to the lost poets, I should say that there will be an opportunity to buy copies of this book, and a very rare opportunity to get it signed by all of the lost poets. Uh, so without, uh, could you please put your hands together and welcome Ron Butler, Andrew Gregg, Liz Lockhead, Brian Cage, James Hutchinson, and Ron Tolkien. I am going to start with um, something from the 70s. 
this is a piece we did as a <coughs> we did all together as a kind of ensemble piece. Um, we're going to try and do one of those uh, later, uh, although we've forgotten most of the words. Of it. <laughs> um, and this one is I'm just going to do it on my own uh, today. It's called Here's Why, and it's a collage of things taken from um, advertisements in in the Sunday Times Colour Supplement, uh, circa 1975. Come live with us and be our love. Here's why. You're stretched out on a soft, sandy beach, and your only commitment is now a wonderful opportunity to find out what you are really like and hype to your personality. But pure wholesome goodness in solid gold, hand tooled, easy white, wet meat skimmer tits. Is it a laugh or is it a wrinkle? Where does it come from? How does it work? Simple. It's an all-in-one. No gimmicks or gadgets and no more mess. I expect you're wondering what it's called. Style. It's like a window. So delicate and transparent, it seems to glow from within. No zips, no bulges, nobody need know. And remember, no obligation. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so behold this unrepeatable new offer. It's unique, suitable for every occasion, and specially for you. And these are just some of our range. Also, now it comes with matching double offer for your friends this Christmas. Pick any four. Whether you're crisp and cool or long and cool, drop in to see us. Give us a ring. Start today. It doesn't matter how old you are. With our new, easy-to-follow instructions, you leave all the worries to us. <laughs> also, plus, and, together with, super new value. What does it do? Puts more than a gleam in your eye? Get it. How much does it cost? It's free. How much it costs is up to you. Of course, you can't expect it to be cheap. Just whip out a pen and fill this in quick. It won't take you a moment on our comprehensive fail-safe installment plan. Dissolves pain and it makes your fitting shine. So you want to know more? Then live with us and be our love. <laughs>
<laughs> to save time, I'll turn around and advertise my abdomen. He'll realize why he was born, then I'll eat him. Slips <laughs> in my juice, he'll make a nutritious soup. I may not be a goddess, but I've still got my legs. <laughs> um, this is one of the very few confessional poems I've ever written. It's called Stone. Of all the stones I threw as a boy, I remember only one. Unlike stones, I flipped and skipped to interrupt flat water. Bullet stones to detonate bottles, bin tin cans from high fences. Unlike stones thrown at headstones to exercise the dead. Unlike stones thrown out of boredom at dogs, cats, fish, birds, rats, just to keep them on their toes. This particular stone was thrown so all my sins confessed themselves at last at a girl. And when I watched it swoop from the air, I shut my eyes tight, aware that I'd get what I deserved and more. I was guilty, yet in that moment I learned to care for another, for her suffering. So love's end was as true as mine, and all its longing came down on me, came down on me and cut me through. Um, I'll finish with a poem uh, called Curious Tenant. And, uh, <coughs> uh, it's about that feeling you get when you move in somewhere new and the, the person before who lived there before may have cleaned up really well and everything, but you still sense their presence. And um, I have a residency in Perth called the Roman Suter Fellowship, which is the only residency I've had that actually came with a residence. <laughs> and when I moved in, the previous writer, had, he, he's done a great job of cleaning up, which I was very grateful for, but he, he left a whole room full of boxes of his clothes. And they were all labeled like jackets, trousers, shirts, and so on. And I remember a workman coming in once to um, fix up some plumbing and uh, he looked at these boxes and said, what's all this? And I said, that's the previous tenant's clothes. And he said, my God, he's got a whole box of ties. <laughs> so I'll leave you to guess who, um, which Scottish writer <coughs> might have a whole box of ties. Previous tenant or Carl McDougall. <laughs> <laughs> My radio clears its throat in the scoured silence of his kitchen. The empty skull of his fridge grins at me under the spotlight. On a notice board naked of notices, his solar system of thumbtacks. His hooks bereft of pictures, beckon to me from their ghosts. The set fire sulks in the grate, an orphan hoping to be chosen. He is the skeletoning coat hanger in the yawning wardrobe. He whose damp sock lurks in the drum. He whose bill hook I weigh in my hand. His stripped mattress awaits me, a premonition uncovered. The answer phone is flashing, a message for him, or for me. It's me, she says. If you're there, can you pick up the fucking phone? Me now, I'm doing. years ago, first of all, first of all. Um, anyway, I've got a couple of old songs 
Um, that was Jim Hutchison and the Great Deep. Great Deep, isn't it? Sandra Always changed the name, even back then when we used to do it every day. It was a different group. My name's Ron Duncan. I'm very, very pleased to be here and to share the stage with, uh, with friends from such a long time ago when we started and to see so many of you here today. Sorry, Ron. That's where we started the book. Uh, Horns and Wings and Stabilizer Things contains one poem at least from that period from each of us, as well as an unpublished poem and other ones that we've done since. <coughs> and this poem I selected was uh, probably the only um, homage to Jimi Hendrix. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it came because uh, I really loved Hendrix, and after he'd, he'd, a few years after he died, I saw a TV program where he was getting interviewed by an American, um, very uptight guy with a kind of clipboard and a clip tie and a very clip man. <laughs> and he was getting more and more worried because Hendrix was sitting there with his, um, you know, purple hair and and boots with curls at the end and all the rest of it and was very, very, obviously very, very stoned. <laughs> and he didn't know where, the, where he was going, this interview. And so he eventually asked me, he said, um, does uh, everybody look like you where you come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, where are you from? Mars. <laughs> 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 the, the interview. But he gave me an idea for this poem. In memoriam, Jimi Hendrix. On the breadth and heechte and hechte, sorry, I'll start again. On the breadth and hechte the universe, the deal that is right on God that is left. His fingers were groping among stars, for the sickless quasars that boomed inside his head. The anemic ran a lifespan and back, as his horns frummled for the years. The weirdness peaked, and the world and we're left whispering to ourselves who yips the planet circles us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, most all of us have gone on writing and living and living and writing. Uh, and I was very lucky for six years to be Edinburgh Poet Laureate, Macra. And uh, I, first of all, when I was asked if I would take the post, gosh, my, yes, and what an honour, of course I said yes, it was good. Um, my first thought was, oh my God, I'm going to have to write things. going <laughs> 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 to celebrate things. And, and I was really worried, I thought, my creativity can get turned on and on. Like that. <laughs> 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 I was writing about all these things I never thought about. And uh, things I got off to a very good start with Scottish Malt Whiskey Society. <laughs> commissioned a poem from me uh, in praise of whiskey. So how hard was that? Um, I had to do lots of research. <laughs> and I came up with this eventually. A recipe for whiskey. 
Wring the Scottish rain clouds dry. Take sleep. The driving snow, the hail, winter twilight, the summer sun's slow downfall, pearl sheen dust on hillsides, city roofs, and lochs at midnight. And most of all, take the years that have already run to dust, the dust we've spilled behind us. All this is still and cast and wait. All human things resolve to who we are, our present fate. So let's taste, let's savour and enjoy, let's share once more. Another glass for absent friends, pour until the bottle's done. <laughs> here's life, here's courage to go on. <laughs> centuries ago, Scotland found itself drawn into another country's slipstream. Our history is shut down. We breathe dead air. Old villages collapsed into rubble, fields wasted to empty moorland, mountains retreated to wrap themselves in cloud and loss, swallowed down curses and their waters turned black. Families were split, clans broken up, and the human wreckage was scattered to the winds. What was left was still a country, but only just. And in the last year of the last millennium, we summoned up our strength. We sidestepped the slipstream, kick-started our history. And like it or not, we're on the move again, all of us. Families, the clans, the country, no one can see into the future. No one can go ahead and check things out on our behalf. And as for all we've been through, the cost paid by generation after generation of people just like us, well, if we're lucky, the past will bear us. Uh, 
was a teenager, you know, the world was so big, I was so small. Why wouldn't you go out with me? <laughs> so really big questions like that. And one of the things that emerged, particularly being a teenager, was that um, the whole world was out of step apart from me. And I would celebrate my difference, my uniqueness, my alienation. Yeah. And now that uh, I'm a bit older, I um, find myself wanting to celebrate what we have in common. Because I think the strength that we have as a community, as a country, as a family, as whatever it is, whatever the community is, if we can help each other, we can release an energy that is so much more powerful than corporates, so much more powerful than politicians. My God, do we need it now. <laughs> so this is a very short poem that I'll finish with um, that celebrates that sense of <coughs> togetherness. And afterwards, we'll have Brian will come up for a moment because we will then be doing our first group ensemble. <laughs> and Brian will talk you through it. <laughs> Here's the poem. Prayer. When I reach the center of the earth. Let there be someone with me. Each one of us must bear the world's weight, but not alone. And so when I return at last to this same hour and this same place, let there be someone raising even the emptiness in their hands towards me. Okay, so we're going to um, attempt this ensemble piece we used to do. Uh, as I say, we didn't um, get a lot of the words of it. Just made a few ones. Uh, it's called Horns and Winds and Stabilizer Things. It's for the one that the book takes its title from. Stay alive. 
and I see you smiling to him. Yes, God is close and dear to me and never slips between. He moves off across the water, thinking about his favorite colors, blue and green, and his earless shepherd of ships, while we walk here in the sunlit service of the world's church. Beyond was music making Scottish style, a serious business, and Dan's hard work. The accordion balls like a chestnut standard, because the hidden muscles in his heart. His polkas, the gales trapped in a box. Coated to the gills, horns bent black as coal from the mines he went down at Fortune. Shan gave it loudly, staring straight ahead, unsmiling, fingers blurred, only movement his left heel kicking at him. There's nothing free about expression. He learned that well the earliest days. Whatever joy there was in it for him, labored as his father had, deep down. <laughs> and then at this point in life, spending time, it's a Newfound classic, with friends and family seems increasingly satisfying and nourishing, and the bus path really helped. <laughs> 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 it's a pick out of recent, my most recent poem in this book, uh, The Old Codgers, and it's my if experience counts for anything, don't come to Glasgow without a coat. <laughs> so, I ran the corner of Fires Road, but under the awning in autumn rain, outside the ubiquitous ship, the old codgers sit lewd in mockery and roar. Handshakes all round, instructions and reminders we are the ones who got off with it. And now sit wrapped against the law as young people pass through the shirt sleeves, filling the rain. Our hair is silver, gone, or grey, and it is clear by our jackets, not pieces. Button shirts, sweaters, lace shoes, or battered cowboy boots, not stained. We are honourable, not failed. Lightness and laughter, and it's the gravity of our situation. Children grown, mortgage cleared, ambition, a lurid umbrella bumping through the clouds, more burdened than it's worth, frankly absurd. Finally abandoned, who knows where. How very little matters now, but sitting in shelter with each other. I raise my glass to some new ladder I don't like, but I felt too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> to wakeless afternoons here. We have become what we least expected. A bunch of old codgers getting quietly to 
pavement tables or fired roads. There's nowhere else they want to be. The great afternoon wears into evening, and Glasgow rain pools on the awning above, runs down past our hats and shoulders, like that filled chuck missionary. <laughs> <laughs>
never ever read it at a Lowe's Poetry Reading, but it's about a Lowe's Poetry Reading. And very briefly, one winter, we tried to be organisers and go on a few uh, uh, readings, you know, with other people, with, with great people. And Edwin Morgan came along once, and uh, I had never attended a Judith organising it. I was homeless at that kind of thing, always. And I was a real teacher, and I came from Glasgow, so. <laughs> but there was a real football match on that night, and Harley Edwards turned up. A great thing, something or other. Anyway, the wonderful Edwin Morgan, who will be 100 years old this year, centenary, and um, he was there, and he must have been about 58 or something at the time, because I think this was 1978. But this poem's for Edwin Morgan, in memory of him, and uh, it's long before he became the maker or anything like that, but the poem is about a lost poet's reading, and it's called The People's Poet. <coughs> Under the blue moon of this whole silly business really working for once, the People's Poet is reading to us from his most recent work. Natty and Tattersall, boyish and 50-something on the bare stage under the blue light. If the side spots have those rose-colored filters, well, that won't wash with him. Listen, his quick, light voice, not tripping ever over his own peppery rhythms, with sibilance and little silver sparks sprinkled. At first, it was him, him blinking into the black of the audience, and us wondering, had we let him too harshly, bungled it again? Imagine us encouraging him to leave his Antarctics and his loosely in the anteroom, and then him having to tiptoe through all those ladies doing yoga in Halanka, stretching breaths, just to rescue his bones. He was nice about it. Nice about the coffee we were sorry not to be able to offer in the interval and those ticket sales. Into his second poem, he seems in his element. On the orange bucket chair behind him, his pile of hardbacks and pamphlets, that's all. The wall's aerosol labyrinth is ours. The empty bottle, painted guitar, and at his feet, somebody's rainbow scarf, a serpent, straight off a snakes and ladders board. And maybe it is a game for him. Certainly there is fun in it. Didn't the six particle poems tickle us pink? Then there was a witch, a cat, a broomstick, a sort of story for Halloween, which it isn't, though it was while we read it. There was a mummy in need of urgent repair. Those transcripts of tapes from outer, outer space. Yes. The woman pissing in center station he wouldn't let us look away from for one minute. Our confusion, the celebration, the celebration. Callis, Nabucco, Bolan, Presley, Lowell, of his love lately dead. The dance that danced them off is not what he ever praises, though who can ignore it? Outside, the buses throb, and top deck passengers slide past at eye level, almost touchable. Children shout clear into the cold. The light from the public lavatory catches the hurrying moon face of one girl, and she's gone. Taxis tick on at possibly terrible cost, but the winter city won't stay locked shut, and that's what he sends out about. It's chock-a-block with life, and lives we can make for as next door 
everybody doing yoga brings towards the really, <laughs> listen, a second life, instructions to an actor. It's mostly resurrection he calls up in us. There is no comfort in it, except the odd moment, the ridiculous and the marvelous, speaking in tongues to the hard of hearing, just for the hell of it, this poet is playing with pure sound. There is no meaning in any ordinary sense. Listen, the mad particles dance, stanza by stanza, the poem is becoming more miraculous, more clear. And it says here, circa 
I think as a boy speaking, it could be a, a teenage girl from about 15 or 16, but I think he's male. It's just a wee poem to encourage people to join the children's panel and, you know, the lay members, they need, they need them as a recruitment campaign. Poem's called, Listen, trouble is not my middle name. It is not what I am. I was not born for this. Trouble is not a place, though I am in it, deeper than the deepest wood, and I get out of it. Who wouldn't if I could? Hope is what I do not have in hell, not without good help now. Could you listen, listen hard and well, to what I cannot say except by what I do? And when you say I do it for badness, this much is true. I do it for badness done to me before any badness that I do to you. Hard to unthankful this, but you can help me, maybe. Loosen all these knots and really listen. I cannot plainly tell you this, but if you care, then beyond all harm and hurt, Beyond all harm and hurt, real hope is there. Um, I love songs, I love songs, and I love lyrics of songs. Um, one of my favourite lyricists in the world is Ira Gershwin, um, and uh, this wee poem is for Ira and George. Well, it's actually for Mirka Mara, my dear lady <laughs> lady friend. Um, uh, and I gave it to him, I think this was about 2004, they were doing a wee show, they were touring about Scotland together. And um, I've been trying to write it for a while, and I'll finally get it done. And I gave it to him, I said, here you go, Michael. He said that, well, I, used, I said to him, is it true that the first question they ask a, a, a songwriter is, which comes first, the words or the music? And the answer to that is, first the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Michael says, no, the first, word, the first question they ask is, do you come from a musical family? <laughs> so I used to say to him, who do you come from a musical family? <laughs> I used to say, I. <laughs> anyway, this is Ira and George. And I'm two, two poems for songs um, in a row. But for Michael Mara. First the phone call, as the man said, and he sure said a mouthful to that which comes first, words or music question. Who knows, except for every good one, there are ten in the trash, songs you slaved over but just won't sing, in which no lover ever will hear some wisecrack twist itself to tell his unique heartbreak. So soft, so personal, so well he just can't stop humming it. The simplest three-chord melody might have legs, once it's got the lyric, not tunesmiths, ham and eggs, each catchphrase, colloquialism, each cliché, each snatch of overhead on the subway or street can say so much, so much when rhymed right, when phrased just so to fit its own tune that was born for it. A Manhattan night in 29 or 30. It's late. You're reading Herrick. Just back from a party, your brother calls out, hey, let's work. You watch him shut his jacket, loose his black tie, and grab your book. 
Gather your boys, buds, he says, and slams it shut. He's right. Hard against the deadline, and at night, she's off. Moon up, just daring you. Piano open, that's when you two can make it happen. The tune that smells like an onion, play it very slow. Then the one that sounds like the Staten Island Ferry till you hear the words. Brother, they're already there under the siren and the train and the cardboard wear of this jazz of endless possibilities that will only fit its own fine-tuned lyrics that was born to it. And to finish up with a tiny wee lyric for my friends, uh, Gordon and Carrie McLean. My friend Gordon McLean's daughter's got a very unusual name, and he told me a nice wee story about it. And the, uh, it also refers to a very familiar bit of Simon and Garfunkel from the old days. Gordon and I both like this song, so. Anyway, the play's called Heathrow, a cambric shell. Because the sound of his daughter's name was as soft to him as the cloth it was in Scots the old work wore, Camry, strongly, a cambric shift was what that day he wore to her wedding. And it was the two of them alone who knew the value of it. Because he'd hap her up forever in the love that light in his heart let her go to the good man any father would be glad to see his lassie married on to. This was between them both, one small secret hansling, a cambric shift. The shift he'd have given up his back for her, would still without the asking, the coat so warm when the rivers freeze and the snowflakes storm to keep her from the howling winds. His playday to every angry ache He'd shelter her, hap her, real clad in the cold blast, in the cold blast. His father loved the Camry sack with boot for a sea or needle back. Thank you very much. So much for coming along in so big numbers just to say that the book as Edward said thank you Edward for your very good introduction and thanks to Berlin Polygon normally 5.99 today it's only 4.99 <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the outside, uh, by Portugal, and we'll have a table with everybody around you. So we'll say thank you very much indeed for coming out. And please join me one more time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.